0: make my presence known d that's right <laughs> asked, all over this place
1: i asked before if we're gonna peek. i said if we are we're gonna do it in this room
0: you can do it dennis reynolds you're a winner
1: <laughs> Ooh, i
0: like that all right man there we go man We got this going right now.
1: Yeah, we're back into it with the Sports Experience Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Chris Quinn, with my good friend, Dom Detola, And you know what? This episode, let's just kick right into it. This guy is so associated with basketball for me that I love that we're doing it. Pistol Pete Maravich. Hell yes.
0: Pistol Pete Maravich. You know that line in Eastbound and Down where uh, Kenny Powers has uh, basically cornrows in his hair and everyone's questioning him and he's like, I transcend race, hombre. Yep that's pete maravich he transcends race he's the white guy on the harlem globe trotters just kicking the shit out of everybody
1: yeah that's what everybody said was um especially in this era where this was kind of a saying was that he had a black soul if you will in his white body which i always thought when people were saying that you're just oh yeah (laughs) say that now people would just be like what are you saying but then you watch
0: him play basketball and you're like Jason Williams might have been white
1: chocolate, but this guy is beyond white chocolate. Yeah. he Well, he was, this is what people were saying was he was so inventive with this that he was really stepping out like a Harlem Globe Globetrotter where people were like, whoa, that's like a little bit too flashy.
0: He essentially was playing basketball 50 years ahead of his time. Yes. And that's what made it so entertaining to watch and hear about how his teammates described him and... My God, just a fantastic figure that we lost too early.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely a sad run. And this is something that I thought was so interesting that because through this research I saw because and we'll get into it. His dad had this dream that he would be this unbelievable basketball player. And he said that this dream ended up turning really into a nightmare. Because yep. of the way his career went and, and the expectations, and, yep. and all I'll tell you what, we're going to get right. Into it. Let's get it. right into
0: it. Born June twelfth, nineteen forty-seven, in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. And let me say something about this, because as a Steelers fan, I actually understand this. Is Aliquippa is not a basketball town. Aliquippa is a hard-nosed football town. And when I say that, I mean, you have had some of the NFL's best players come out of Aliquippa. And I'm talking like legit dudes like Mike Ditka, Darrell Revis, Ty Law. Even Sean Gilbert came from Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. Like the Quips is their high school nickname. I mean, like it is a football town, but that didn't matter to Mr press Marovic, pete maravich's dad
1: well i thought that was so interesting and we have to start pete's story with press who was a professional basketball player he was a serbian immigrant yeah and uh which is weird because he almost molded pete in
0: a way like another serbian gentleman named uh marv Marinovic for todd marinovich i don't know if it's a serbian thing i don't know if it's a 1389 weird type of like we must break you type of deal but yeah no it's 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 crazy because his dad played basketball and he was like i have a son i can
1: create anything well that was the thing was he saw that there was no future for him in playing and he quickly went into coaching and coaching high school in aliquippa which i thought was so interesting because he actually coached mike dicka yeah uh, as a basketball player and he said he was just like when press wanted you to run you ran <laughs> all day exactly but what press said was when he was getting pistol pete interested into the game. He did something that was so interesting was he actually would go out and play in front of him and tell him that he can't play that it's for older people. And I thought that was so great because he literally, before he ever played, he got this like hunger started going into him. Like, no, I could play that. Well, and he wants
0: to be like his dad because his dad was a great basketball mind, great basketball coach, great basketball player. And it's like, I just want to spend time with my dad. And if he's always in the gym, that's, the best thing ever and his dad from what i had researched was basically like basketball is my way out of this place yes basketball is ensuring i don't work in a steel mill
1: yeah that's literally what he was doing pre-basketball essentially like that's what everybody in their neighborhood was doing and press had this one thing that he was like basketball could get us out of essentially poverty
0: exactly and i mean when you look at the city of pittsburgh and all the surrounding areas it's a bunch of southern and eastern european immigrants you know basically forced to work in steel mills but it's another avenue yep and pete wants to be with his dad pete wants to compete pete wants to have a good time playing sports and, and i
1: find it i i find it absolutely fascinating well i think that he put so much time from when he was Essentially like six, seven, eight to when he's then in the eighth grade that I just feel like kids weren't doing that, putting that much time in the basketball court because we see that he was essentially competing varsity high school basketball when he was in the eighth grade. Yeah,
0: no. And I mean, his dad had him playing with yeah. the varsity when he was 13, 14 13. years old. And, and that's where
1: he got his little old nickname. Yeah, Pistol Pete. <laughs> yeah, because he would shoot from his hip, because he said he was so weak he couldn't essentially pull just pull it up and shoot. He had to like have a whole motion, and it looked like he was pulling a gun just from his hip, firing it out there. Yeah. And I mean, while he was a definitely
0: tall dude, even for his era for his shooting guard, I mean, even now six five is still a substantial height. Yeah. He's only one hundred ninety seven pounds listed. He's probably twenty pounds you know, less than that.
1: Oh yeah. And I don't think this was cause he was in eighth grade. I don't think he had hit his height spurt no. yet. So like, yeah, he was like a little guy when you see the picture. Cause they have the pictures. Cause I guess he was very, um, how do you put this intimidated by these high school players that he was forced to undress in front of. And they were oh, like no. making fun of him essentially the whole time. And, because he was the coach's son and you know what I mean, that whole thing. But he's your money player, so you're just like,
0: hey, look at that two-inch cock,
1: fuck it. (laughs) exactly. He's scoring 30 a night. (laughs) Yes, but that's what he had to deal with was this kind of like, I'm so much smaller, but I'm going to prove it on the court. And that was the other thing. I mean,
0: as his dad rose up in the coaching ranks, obviously they moved from Western PA, West Virginia, down to um, South Carolina where his dad was the head coach at Clemson. Um, He went to Daniel high school there and obviously played with the varsity while he was like a seventh, eighth grade type of player is he's there. Everyone's looking and laughing at him. And then after two minutes of being on the court, they're like, oh, holy shit.
1: Yeah, because he was looked at as almost like, oh, is this a charity case? Because literally what he said was they wouldn't guard him the first couple of minutes. He would get the ball and they would be like this realization like. Oh, this isn't like some sick kid. No, he's out a there. fucking silent assassin. Exactly. And I want to bring this up his shooting for this era, because we talk about it. The tall yeah. man was, it's all a center-based it's game. all center-based. And then Pete's like, I could shoot the shit out of this ball from anywhere.
0: Yeah. He's just it, like, it's give me the ball. I'm open. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's go for it. He, uh, while he's in South Carolina, he goes to uh, Daniel high school yep. for his first two years. Um, absolute star his dad's head coach at clemson obviously and uh people are starting to notice pete people are really starting to be like okay maybe this sickly child uh is the next uh, greatest nba
1: player well and then i think it's in his junior year that his dad gets the job at nc state he is does that career? yeah because his dad was basically
0: known as a fixer yes in you know college sports where he might not lead your team to a title, but he will turn things around to such an extent where it'll be like, oh, thank God we had him for like five years because everything is back on track.
1: And this is when Pete hits his first like growth spurt. So he's like six yeah. three at this point. And I know he I, there was the story about him running into his old coach. And he was just like, hey, coach. And the coach was like, who the hell is this kid? Yeah, right. <laughs> and he's just like, it's Pete. And he's just like, oh, because at that point he started growing his hair out. And yeah. like, he kind of he kind of starts to resemble the Pete Maravich that we kind of know.
0: Yeah, he's got the longer hair and everything. He looks like an actual man,
1: yes. just not among, you know, men. Not Yes, exactly. And I bet it's that huge shift from before where he looked like a boy amongst men. And now he looks like an actual man. You're like, who the hell is this? Yeah, no, and then uh, after his dad gets to uh, NC State, he goes
0: to Broughton High School, and uh, one of the things I found most fascinating is, like, while he pushed his son, it wasn't the Marinovich type thing, is, like, Pete was just obsessed with basketball. Yes, himself. Yeah, he was just, like, his dad would be like, I'm going to lock you in the gym for a few hours, you figure it out, and he would figure out all these you know ball handling moves he would figure out behind the back passes through the legs i mean like legit when i said harlem globetrotters it is that type of stuff that he was like refining not like with a team like that or like on the streets like we talked about ray for alston in queens it was just him like i transcend race hombre yeah like I'm doing my own thing. Like, he was his own individual
1: badass. Well, somebody said he was getting so much time on the court that he was getting bored and he was trying to entertain himself. And I thought that was pretty accurate for the era. Because basketball,
0: like, is an awesome game, obviously, now. But back in the day, it was very stodgy. It's like, oh, here's here's an entry pass to your center. He'll have a hook shot, whatever. Exactly, exactly. Not your guards being like, yeah, I can make assists, but... I can deke this other point guard or two guard and find an open shot and just give us money points.
1: Yeah, no, it, he is one of these guys that propels the game forward, which why his career is so sad when it's looked back looked back on, because like you said- And it's not like he had a bad career. Exactly. It's It's just like you said, he was 50 years ahead of the game and nobody I felt like really took advantage of it.
0: It's, it. He seems like one of those players, even though he achieved way more success when he was in the pros, it's like mm-hmm. that guy could play in any era. Like Jim Brown as a running back could yep. play in any era. Pete Maravich is your two guard that could play in any era of the NBA No, yeah. based on a skill set.
1: It's one of those things where like you see these guys who transcend, not race on this one, but essentially time, like Pele could play in any era. Oh, my God. It's Maradona could play in any era. It's, it's and All Pete the is that orgies. guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Pete is that guy. So let's talk about him. Do you have any other high school basketball stories?
0: Really only the high school is, is they would play against college players and, and he'd be dominate. on the team and just dominate them yep. by himself, which is incredibly crazy to think, but he had to do a post-grad year at I believe Edward's Military Institute.
1: Well, this is what I wanted to talk about his transition to college because there's a lot of different stories yeah. out there and I want to I want to hear a couple of stories from you. I'll, I'll give a couple of stories and we'll see which one we believe. Well,
0: his GPA was not good.
1: Not good at all and NC State made it clear that they didn't want somebody that low of GPA if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, which which is fine by that same token because this is a different era of, you know, college basketball. Yep. And By that same token, Pete Maravich was put on this earth to do one thing, like Happy Gilmore playing hockey. He was put on this earth to shoot a basketball and do
1: amazing things passing it. And, well, I want to say this, Press essentially had this one dream of coaching him in college.
0: Exactly, which honestly lined up because after the first year at Edwards, because, you know, college football sees this a lot. They go to, like, uh, you know, a lot of – prep schools for yep. a year, yep. which doesn't count against your eligibility or anything. It's to get your grades, up grades and make up you and develop more attractive yep. exactly to colleges around the country. And uh, Pete was honestly looking at going to West Virginia and because West Virginia, Western PA, it's the same goddamn thing. Yep. Let, let's be honest. But uh, press ends up getting a job at LSU.
1: Well, I want to, I want to say this because he's leaving NC state and It's kind of known that he makes it clear. Like if you bring me, I'm bringing Pete with me.
0: And everyone's like, oh, you're bringing your son. Oh, that's wonderful.
1: (laughs) Well, it's one of the, well, like you said, he had these other offers, but this was before colleges recruited without parents. Yeah. So they had to recruit through press and press was essentially telling Pete that nobody wanted him. And he was like, I I'm getting this job at LSU and this is the story that I wanted to bring up. And I kind of wanted to check with you is he said, Pete said he came home. He said, my dad said, Hey, I got this job at LSU. You can sign this contract or you can never come back home. Oh my God. There was a family friend who said, I heard a different story where Pete, and then were Pete and Press were arguing and Pete just goes I want a car and Press just goes yeah we'll we'll get you a car that's fine because at this point and this is what I think is so interesting is LSU had minus a basketball program
0: no i mean like when you look at the SEC of the late 60s early 70s it was all football it is entirely a football conference Yeah, it is entirely a football conference like it is a rough sell for any young talented kid to be like yeah i'm gonna go to dixie and uh you know shoot the round ball
1: exactly and this is what i think starts essentially what his because i i call it a pro career when they're in college because they're essentially pros not getting yeah. paid um but he is play he's the best player playing on the worst team.
0: Oh, yeah. And constantly. he constantly just goes to an, the absolute dregs to appease his father, somebody who in high school threatened to shoot him with a 45 if he ever caught him drinking or with ladies. I mean, he kind of had to go, but it was actually important for SEC basketball to actually improve and prove to the rest of the country that like, okay, we're legitimate. We just don't care about football. Ninety percent of the time.
1: Exactly, it, it finally gave them some sort of legitimacy where they could finally start recruiting. And I mean, we see the the dividends on that. But l- like we were saying, it was almost preposterous to think that because he, he was num- he was number one, number two recruit out of high school or out of this yeah you know. and, and nobody that
0: watched him play in high school was like oh yeah this guy's gonna be a failure
1: <laughs> yes exactly so that's why going to L- LSU was so ridiculous so let's bring up the point that in this era freshmen can't play varsity ball. and we
0: brought it up in Wes Unseld yep. and we're looking at his statistics and watching what <laughs> little film I had I'm like dear God you can
1: do better than Wes Unseld <laughs> Jesus Christ on a freshman team oh it's so good but something else I thought was so ridiculous was everybody understood that this was the guy. So when he was on the freshman team, people would show up to the freshman yeah. game and then leave just for the varsity. It for the yeah. varsity.
0: Every, it, like uh, I heard it described as like, no, when Pete was on the freshman team, you'd go to the old gym on campus and be like, oh, this is the place to be. Yeah. This is the place to be seen. This is the place to watch fun basketball. This is amazing. And I'm just looking at these stats right now. And like, I know we discussed in our Wes Unselled episode about like pure domination, yep. which, which Wes did. Yeah. I give him 100% credit NBA Hall of Famer, 50th anniversary, just like Pete Maravich for the NBA, 43.6 points per game, 10.4 rebounds, and almost a 46% field goal percentage. And this is not an era that I want to bring up. No three-point line. No fucking
1: shot clock to where teams could freeze other teams. He's just firing at will. I was thinking about this before we came into this episode. I was like, you know, the phrase that we're probably going to repeat is no three shot, no three point line and no shot clock because it is such a ridiculous stat. Because this is the other thing was, he was shooting three-pointers back then.
0: Oh, he w- he was shooting well beyond the arc. He's like Steve Kerr at the Cactus at McHale Center.
1: And somebody said that just to be like a conservative would be to give him an extra 10 points average a year. That's conservative. And I remember somebody else saying like, yeah, but if there was a three-point line, he would have been launching like 12 threes a game. And that was the thing that press gave him which was i think was unheard of which was a guard had free reign to essentially shoot as many times as he wanted
0: and while he's basically listed as a two guard he's a combo guard he's a combo guard do everything and dale brown who was later coach at lsu he coached shaq and uh mahmoud abdul raouf those guys he was saying like if you went back because he had charted all his shots as an assistant. Yep. He was saying that if they had the three point line, his college scoring career would have been like fifty seven points a game.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. It's
0: it's when you're scoring half over half a hundred,
1: unfucking real. Yeah. The only thing, the only drawback, I'll say this in the SEC at that point, it was an all white league, and we know that that's just not the kind of defense you want to see. But saying that it was still competitive because this was still
0: man, I don't care if you're hitting from the ladies' tees. Fifty-seven points a game is fifty-seven
1: points a game for fuck's sake. No shot clock. That's the thing that blows my mind because teams would hold out on him specifically because they knew that he would run up the score and that was bad for him.
0: Yeah, bad for them. And in his freshman year, they only lost one game. Yeah, they only lost to Tennessee in the final game. But like you know, his dad is just salivating yep. just the next season for three more years to get Pistol
1: Pete Maravich. Yeah. So let's talk about his stats because his stats are what people. I mean, they're ridiculous. Yeah. Three thousand six hundred and sixty-seven points over his three years. Yeah. It's it's absolutely insane. Like the first year, sixty-seven, sixty-eight. He has eleven hundred thirty-eight. 68-69, he has 1,148. And then the thing that I think is beyond ridiculous is his 69-70 season yep. where he has 1,381 points. Well, and if you, if you
0: factor that in for a points-per-game average, 67-68, yep. it's 43.8. 68-69, 44.2. And then his senior season where he ends up breaking the scoring record, it's 44.5. And there's some controversy as far as his dad, as far as him going, like, Pete needs to take 30 shots a game. It's never been verified, but it's like, well, fuck yeah, he should be taking 30 shots a game. Like, well, that's what I mean was
1: point line. This was the era that people thought that shouldn't happen, especially for a guard. Yeah, especially for a guard because it's so center based, but um. Which I, I agree. That's that's just kind of bullshit. He, he ends up beating Oscar Robinson for the all time record of points. And he said that he said something like Oscar sa- talking about Pete was just like, he was such a great player. I don't feel bad about losing this. You know what I mean? And there the was no wasn't, shit talking from yeah. him. And yeah. he was
0: a team player. Yes. And that was the other thing is he wanted to get everybody involved. Yeah. Oh, and man. Those... That's, what lost, that's what's lost on everybody. And uh, Dale Brown had a great quote. And he said, oh, yeah, you can break his record with a three-point line. You just got to average 15 three-pointers a game. Yeah. 15? A game to a, get 45 points. Making it 15 times. Yeah. Like,
1: absolutely for, for fucking absurd. <laughs> so I want to talk about his passing during these LSU because there's some footage out there all these games aren't obviously on tape but there's some footage out there with these passes that he does that essentially fakes out his own teammates yeah and he's there's just a, throwing it to the popcorn guy yeah well there's a center or a power forward on his team who's just like when you're looking at Pete he's not going to give you the ball as soon as you turn your head you better be ready because <laughs> that thing is coming and you can see guys literally get nailed in the face with these absolutely beautiful passes
0: oh yeah and they have no idea it's coming no
1: idea and that was the thing that I thought like you were saying, he is, he is like 50 years ahead of his game. If he was playing today, I feel like he would almost be more of a passer and a catch shooter than what we see he is here, which is pretty much just like a playmaker.
0: He would be Jason Williams on steroids as far as passing, and he would be the equivalent of uh, Steph Curry so, as far yeah. as shooting. But like. also
1: six five. Hey, everybody,
0: just want to take a quick break to uh, let you know that our Sports Experience podcast is brought to you by Engel Studio here, and uh, they're here in Tucson for all your recording needs. Yeah, also 6'5", which is just crazy, and um, he's actually the third of four in NCAA history to um, win the scoring title, Yep. but also win the scoring title in the NBA. Steph Curry was the fourth of four. Yeah, yeah. So it's just unreal they turned a program i think they were three and 20 in his sophomore year and they finished fourth in the nit in his senior year which is just an absolute crazy type of thing and the saddest part is is as far as his parents were concerned particularly his mom he was a tortured soul that let nobody know about it oh yeah his uh, mom suffered from uh depression and alcoholism. And the only public photo of his entire time at LSU was her celebrating after uh, he had broke Oscar, Oscar Robinson's record or yeah. Robertson's record. Yeah. Uh,
1: we'll bring up her later on oh, because definitely. she, I mean, and then we'll bring up this relationship, I think, with him and press because it, it's it's this is one of these interesting things where I think everybody thinks that he's on top of the world and he starts to struggle and he's battling in the the, right here, the
0: genetic inner demons and it's just really sad. I mean, thank God that he met his wife
1: and there's other time at LSU. Um, exactly because he, yeah, he definitely could have gone down some dark roads. Um, The only thing that sucks about his college career was uh, no NCAA appearances. But like you said, he turned a program that was not even getting close to the NIT into a program that was viable. Yeah. He's
0: a three-time all American. I mean, I mean, every year he's playing varsity ball. He's the best of the best. And it it's, you know, not to shit on the sec. It is still a football conference, but it's like, Oh, we play basketball too.
1: Yes, Definitely. (laughs) So he gets selected by the Atlanta Hawks. First round, pick number three. And he Worst place he could have
0: probably gone, as they say. Doesn't fit in whatsoever. Yeah, because it's the whole mentality, like all these old pros making you know peanuts as far as their professional career, and he comes in and he has all these endorsements. He's already a million-dollar-a-year player like his dad had always wanted, and white guy playing in the South. All black team. Well, this is not going to mesh.
1: Yeah. This is interesting because this is one of these points in professional sports where we see the salaries are in such huge difference. So all these guys, all these veterans on the team aren't, I don't even think their collective salaries are making what Pete makes, which no, is it's, what the, the huge problem is with him coming in is they're like, why the fuck are you paying this rookie? Is he, Cause he got the first $2 million contract and, and I think it was Lou Hudson. Yeah, Lou Hudson was their established and, star. And, and they and were Walt a playoff Bellamy. team. Yeah, yes. Walt Bellamy. And they, to their credit, were very conservative in their play. Yeah. Pete comes in, and we know how flashy he is. This was something else I wanted to say. Um, he was the first, and this was his quote, he was the first ever white player to be offered a million-dollar contract by the Harlem Globetrotters. So it was like their first real you
0: know could you imagine him and wilt and those famous shorts on the harlem globe trotters oh just because he was doing legit globe trotter shit just in, in the nba yeah like it's almost a rafer austin type of thing as far as ball handling like transcend race hombre
1: <laughs> yeah well this is the thing that he said when he went to the hawks was they were like hey man you need to quit that shit and he was like hey you guys need to get on this 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 Train that I'm I'm trying to bring you on. And actually, Lou had one of his best seasons with him. Oh, yeah. Because and, he took off so much pressure from him. And this was an era where the ABA was
0: starting and going on where... Yep. Could you imagine him on an ABA team and them just like trumpeting him as basically the Jesus of
1: their league? Oh my God. Everybody says like, this is where pre-showtime, nobody was calling it that, but he was like showtime. It would have been showtime if he was on an ABA team.
0: Everybody's watching like that Robin Williams golf quote. Oh dear Christ.
1: (laughs) But it's a white guy doing it. So you're like, am am I sure about this? Yes. His ball handling skill is so ridiculous above everybody else's because he spends so much more time on it. I feel like
0: he's, he's locked in a gym, but that's where he wants. And that's what I always found weird. It's not like his dad is like padlocking him in the gym and being like, you're going to stay here for three hours. It's like, here, I'm going to drop you off. And then he's just perfecting his game and kicking ass and on his own free will and accord, which I find amazing. Yes. No, he,
1: he, But like we said, again, this Atlanta Hawks team, good team, but just don't mesh. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, I think they took
0: him more or less because they had recently moved to Atlanta from St. Louis. They needed asses and seats, probably not the best fit. But even in his rookie year, he makes the all rookie team and averages 23.2 points a game. And then in his second season, they make the playoffs both years. He's still at 19.3 and is averaging almost 28 against the Celtics in the Eastern Conference playoffs.
1: Yeah, they said that that was a really – they, like, really drove the Celtics to a, to a good <clears throat> series on that one. And he – really was the focal point of their offense. And I want to say something, and we brought it up before on how he was like one of these first players to change it from a completely large man game. He was the first guard ever to be given a huge contract. Nobody's yeah. given fucking guards anything. So,
0: And now it's all a guard and swing man league Yes,
1: now. yes, exactly. Well, I mean, we see these three and four guys, but it's not that five man. No, not you at know? all. I mean, no. you, you get a guy about six nine to play this
0: center position yeah. nowadays well you, you're basically yeah, Wes Unsel- yeah you're getting yeah, Wes unseld and so. charles barkley there you go in uh 72 73 though he uh makes his first all-star team yeah he
1: really excels now
0: and uh lou hudson uh has a him and lou hudson have 2000 point seasons which is pretty incredible
1: oh yeah weren't they the second ever tandem to do that
0: uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh Actually, first teammates to do it. Okay, first Uh, teammates, yeah. 26.1 points per game, uh, almost seven assists, making the All-Star team. And then the following season, he's just lighting it up. Yeah. Goes to the All-Star game, 27.7 points a game. And uh, unfortunately, he's kind of wore out his welcome in Atlanta because they missed the playoffs.
1: Well, this is the thing is he he gets traded, um, and Atlanta said they put out feelers and they pretty much got back. Like, we don't want that hot dog. Yeah. We don't want that individual asshole.
0: Which is, which is so weird because you'd think of hot dogging it as someone who's not white.
1: (laughs) Well, no, I I would think of him as, because this was the thing that we were saying was he made Lou so much better. And they just, it was a misunderstanding of what he was doing, which was drawing attention and, and doing the shit that, Really took defenses out of their normal rhythm. And it really was, like I said, a misunderstanding. But we see this New Orleans Jazz expansion team come up. And they need asses and seats. They don't care where he comes from. And they know he has an LSU, a Louisiana following. Exactly. No.
0: And, you know, people of that era. It's like oh you associate it with someone who's not white, but by that same token it's like no, you want asses and seats and you
1: want the best scorer in the game. I thought this was interesting. Atlanta Hawks they were talking about him they're like, hey we traded you to the this new jazz team and Pete asked what they got for him and this was right. After they had put the feelers out and nobody wanted them. So like they were expecting to get like nothing in return and they got, he like listed off all the stuff they got and Atlanta was ecstatic. They were like, we, we like, we got so much more than we ever expected.
0: It's it's a King's ransom. And yet the Atlanta Hawks uh, are basically like my love life as far as NBA championships. Yeah. Well, and (laughs) up until now, obviously.
1: and, And then Pistol Pete goes, that's all? That's all you got? Yeah. And it's such a great thing for him being in his head because he kind of knows, like, I could be essentially a, a combo guard on on a championship
0: team, but he just... Well, and, and you, for someone like him to be as talented as he was, he was basically... To think like that, you have to have the most amount of dick-swinging confidence in yourself. Well, and, this is where yeah.
1: I think his mental stability starts to go is he starts to kind of get into alcohol and he starts to kind of get into himself. Well,
0: it's new Orleans. It's let's, new Orleans. let's bring that up. I yep. mean, trust me, I've been there and it is a, uh, it is a cruel mistress of the city and as far is, as alcohol intake.
1: So I think he has one season. Um, and this is when his mom, Helene, uh, kills herself. Yeah.
0: Um, like I said before, his mom and press had written letters to very close confidants and friends about basically keeping her away from LSU games because of her alcoholism and depression. And you know, that type of stuff wild genetic yeah, yeah. mood swings and things like that. He's like, I don't know what to do. And obviously at that time you had no type of counseling or anybody to help with that mental health state. And it just drives Pete kind of down but he's still performing I mean New Orleans proves to be at least as far as his career success a godsend to him despite yeah well the depression
1: I was gonna say the depression's huge but I feel like he even though New Orleans is the worst team in the NBA he himself is showing like hey I can do what I did at LSU
0: exactly and you know on a crappy team when he's your best player I mean almost 26 points a game in 75-76. And then the following season, 76-77, as I stated before with the Seth Curry comment, he leads the league in scoring at over 31 points a game.
1: Yes, and this is his season. 76-77, you see, because we see him kind of get hampered by injuries, but you see, like, this is what players are essentially, this is like Kobe Bryant shit. Yeah, like, in this season, I had wrote it down,
0: 40 or more in 13 games,
1: 50 or more in four
0: and And then then, he had a 68 point game against the knicks
1: yep the knicks game is what everybody says you're just like whoa who the hell is this guy
0: and it's not like the knicks are the embarrassment that they are now like this is a legitimate new york knicks team
1: no this (laughs) yeah no straight up this is a legitimate knicks team and something i thought was so interesting was the only other players to score more was kareem yeah and elgin baylor who, who was are the, not guards well who was the coach of the, the jazz, jazz at, at the, the time. time yeah i thought that was so interesting and he probably was out there just like light it up my man light yeah it up because he could see he was just like no like i'm a scorer
0: i know how this works exactly
1: so. <laughs> i'm a scorer you just light it up and again pre three point line yeah and
0: you wonder what his scoring average would have been pre three point line yeah because if you were a coach with any sorts of of sense or sensibility you would just be like now seven's getting the ball right now
1: no yeah it it would be so like we said with press where people were like oh he's demanding him get 30 shots a game i bet the team was like no 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 no, no. we're giving him the yeah. ball we want him to take 30 shots because his shooting is so great and he was an unselfish player it's not no. like if he was triple covered he'd still take a shot and he was averaging six to seven assists his almost his whole career
0: yeah and he's a two guard he's not he's the a two point guard. guard yes i mean if you had asked him to play point guard he would be fucking john stockton if yes, he wanted to be
1: exactly so i want to say that 76 77 without a doubt best year 77 78 he this is where we see him get the knee problems yeah and then he only played 32 games yeah in in 77 78
0: and at that time medical technology and medical research was not for what it is you see guys coming back from acls and cartilage shit within a year yeah at that time it's career enders They're basically career enders because you just don't have the luxuries that we have now. They
1: essentially were making starters, bench players, and bench players retire. Exactly. That's what was happening in that era. And that's what we see from the Jazz. They still kind of try and hold him on, but in 78, 79, he plays like 50 games. And he's still an all-star because he's still awesome. And then...
0: He's uh, in seventy nine eighty. After a few games, he's sent to uh, the Celtics.
1: Well, I thought it was interesting because they drafted uh, Adrian Dentley and they essentially were like, "This is our guy," and they put him on waivers. So yeah, they, didn't they put him on waivers. Him. Yeah, they didn't
0: even trade him. They just let him go. And Adrian Dantley would be my dad. Actually, watched him in
1: college at Notre yeah.
0: Dame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he would be. He would be considering his bad boys exit he would be a fantastic all right hey so, i don't know
1: if you heard it here first but we're lining that one up but because uh, that, that's actually pretty awesome i like that yeah so celtics go out pick him up off the waivers. And he's like a bench player, yet he's still
0: averaging almost twelve a game he's off the, the six, bench. Yeah, he's yeah. Six
1: seven player. And he comes in and it's uh Larry Legends first year.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. Definitely. God, could you imagine those two playing together with both in their prime? Oh
1: my god. That it would have been, been cheating. <laughs> it would have been the best. Like think about how great the Celtics were at that time. Oh my god. Even even if he was semi-healthy and stayed on. Yeah. And was a bench player. That would have been so amazing because there was a point in which he came on for the Celtics and scored a shit ton in his And one of it those was games. like
0: the first year of the three point line yes. where he's just like, oh, this. I get one extra for just being me.
1: Yep. So they lose, the Celtics lose to uh, Julius Irving and the 76ers.
0: Yeah. Chocolate Thunder, all those guys, mm. Moses Malone. Yep. But the, uh,
1: that absolutely wonderful 76ers team. But this is something where. It is so sad. So it I is. want to start bringing up the sad shit because it is
0: very sad.
1: Um, he is constantly criticized as this individual player and throughout his whole career, all he's ever said was, I want one championship. So people understand like I'm in it for the team. This is a team game to be me. validated to be validated. He can constantly said he just wants one championship he's like
0: the dan marino of basketball
1: and he was on the celtics team and his knees were so bad that he said he just like had to retire he didn't think the celtics were going to win the next year and then the celtics proceeded to know, win right and I played my much last have, game yeah. yes and pretty much have this team that he said he was like i could have played two or three more years as a bench player but i decided not to just ring chase man and it made him suicidal
0: yeah, no, he he went through a dark period post retirement.
1: This, this is his super dark period right here.
0: And let let me say it's it's weird to think of someone as su- suicidal who in an NBA career averages over 24 points a game, over 5 assists, makes the Hall of Fame his first year of induction in 1987, and his number 7 is retired by the Jazz and the Pelicans have retired his number 44.
1: Yeah. It, da- it
0: it's insane.
1: Yeah. But you see why this is why I'm bringing it up, because most of the time you'd be like, why the hell would that guy ever be depressed? But you see why, because he was criticized for this one thing and he literally had the opportunity and decided to retire. And he was like, it it was so on himself that it was hard for him to get out of his own mind, if that makes sense. And that's why he was so suicidal for like years. Well, and if you think about it, he has to be in his own mind all the time
0: because since he was a kid, he was set apart from everybody. Yep. Like he was put on this earth to do one thing. And that is play basketball. Not only couple with that, you have the mom genetic shit. You have the, I won't won't call him overbearing, but the dad who's just like, I'm making the perfect basketball specimen.
1: Well, he said that it was not a dysfunctional relationship, not a fractured one, but it was a different one with his father because his father had all these expectations and he almost felt like sometimes he was like this trophy or this prize that he would kind of show, like, look what I made, look what I did. And later in life, that's when him and press really reconciled, reconciled and became really close because Pete ends up finding, um, I I believe he becomes a Christian. I'm not. Yeah. He, 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 went with Buddhism. He started believing in UFOs. Like he All went on an InfoWars
0: route before yep. he was just like, Oh yeah, I'm a born again, Christian Jesus.
1: All right. And neither of us are religious on the show, but it's one of these things where you see the peace that comes from it, which I am so a hundred percent for. And it was one of these, like he said, like it, Cause he got his father into it and they pretty much had like this relationship he always wanted. And that's the things about religion that I have to be for between that and how it has helped addicts.
0: I'm just like, I back away. I'm like, it's not what I'm about, but if it makes you better 10, exactly. Good like for I, you, I won't man. ever
1: talk shit on it again. Like I was when I was like 19, like, Oh, you know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. No, I, I see the positive impact that it has on, Essentially, these people that are lost because he felt like he was lost, Um, his dad died in... 1987.
0: And one of the weird... and It's almost eerie is his dad was dying. He's like, I'll see you soon, dad. Yep. And Pete's only 39.
1: He's only 39, yeah. He's only
0: 30 fucking nine years old.
1: And that was the other thing, and I I feel like we kind of touched on it a little but didn't, was he was one of these guys that had this face that was so recognizable that he was on all these commercials. And this was when the commercials started to come out for athletes.
0: Well, as we talked about in that Magic Johnson episode, was like the NBA was not marketable in the 70s. No.
1: Nobody wanted it. But you have
0: this Pistol Peak character coming out of nowhere, coming out of Western PA, coming out of LSU. And it's like everybody can rally behind that because he's a star.
1: and Star and he's also really readily identifiable as almost what the music stars were looking like in that era with the floppy hair and almost had like short shorts, but floppy socks. So it was was very, very rebellious, very rebellious. Even though when we look back on it, we're like, what's that dork doing? But it's, it's in the era. He is very marketable.
0: Yeah. And good Lord. If he played in the ABA, what that could have been.
1: That would have been so awesome. I
0: feel like if he played in the ABA, yeah. like if he wanted to go there, that would have forced a merger. Yeah. Honestly. No, that would have, yes. Like that would have forced a merger off the bat because everyone had been like, okay, well, this league's legit.
1: Yeah. Legit. And then he would have been draining threes off the bat. That's oh my, my other thing. With that red, white, and blue ball Woo! just sinking them. That red, white, and blue ball. I love how when oh, they man. first introduced it, they're like, this ball isn't correct. <laughs> it's like slipping out of everybody's I know, hands. right?
0: This makes no sense.
1: <laughs> um, so, and this is something that I feel like he was born on a basketball court. And then in 1988, yep. he goes and plays a pickup game with a doctor and a another friend. And this guy's having a conversation with him. And they're just talking about Pete's like, oh, this basketball Pickup game was great. I got to do this more often. And the guy says, "How do you how are you feeling?" And he says, "I'm feeling great." Yeah. He goes to turn and walk away, and out of the corner of his eye, he just sees Pete just like face plant yeah. and has a heart attack. And he had a heart defect from from birth, from, from birth that they never knew about.
0: And they said he only should have lived until his like early mid twenties. Yeah. It I guess his left ventricle basically wasn't there. He was born without it. So the right ventricle was just basically pumping all the blood and by age of 40, you know, January 5th, 1988, it had had enough. Yep. And it took him away.
1: Took away one of the greatest basketball players, but like we said, had one of these, I wouldn't even say sad careers, but was tarnished by people talking shit on him not getting this championship or not being a team player but for us but he was
0: always a team player For us, watch film yeah he was always a team player it's just like he's your best player so he should be taking all the shots that's
1: what really sucks about him not living for i feel like people recognizing what he contributed to the game
0: he's like almost a paul bunyan of the nba it's like the things that you hear about like the things that you see you're just like is a human doing that yeah is 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 this real like you you watch him and you're like if he played now the star he could have been and the style of play now is almost all related to him and i find that fascinating
1: yep hey everybody this is just a stock message at the end of every episode we hope you enjoyed whatever athlete and or team that that episode was about just want to say give us a quick follow on all social media we have a youtube channel the sports experience podcast and we're on instagram to tola dominic and myself c quinn comedy so give us a follow all around um, we're always recording right here at angle studio thank you all very much